If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In this series through 1 Thessalonians, the summer, Lord willing, we've begun to see how God preserves those that he calls by sanctifying them. And even as Brother Mike prayed, uh, we will turn our attention to how God sanctifies. God sanctifies in the truth. Um, Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus said. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Paul recognizes this church in Thessalonica needs encouragement about how to persevere in the pressure that's growing around them since Paul has been chased out of town by an angry mob there in Thessalonica. And Paul's answer to how to help them is to urge them to keep doing what they're doing. He taught them well when he was there. You can read in Acts 17. They started well. They really believed Chapter 1, they received the gospel from authentic ministers of the gospel, the beginning of chapter 2, ones who were approved by God, and they just need to keep at it. There's no shortcut to heaven, is what he's saying. The path to heaven is the path of sanctification. God will bring his people safely to heaven as they persevere in the course of sanctification that he's charted for them. And now in verse 13... Our text for this evening, verses 13 through 16, in another expression of thanksgiving for this church, Paul reminds this church that it's by the word that God sanctifies them. God sanctifies by the scriptures. And the dichotomy he presents here for them to assert this truth in these verses, as we'll see, is to show how different kinds of people respond to the gospel and respond to the word of God. Because response to God's word is the dividing line of humanity. The title this evening is The Word of God and the Words of Men. The Word of God and the Words of Men. How do you receive the preaching of the word? As the words of God or as the words of men? That's the dichotomy here in these verses. The line that divides all of humanity is the line of the word. And on one side are those who receive it by faith, And on the other are those who reject it in unbelief. Response to God's word is the dividing line of humanity, Paul says. And Paul presents both in these verses to show that it's by the word that God sanctifies his people. And they are the first example in verse 13. Let's read these verses. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. And here's the alternative response. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. These believers are the first example of how to receive the preaching of the word as what it really is, God's word. There are some in the world... This is the first point, who respond to the word by receiving it 
with faith. And this has two effects. First, this should produce thanksgiving to God. And second, this always produces genuine Christian life and conduct. The people who respond to God's word by receiving it with faith, that should produce thanksgiving to God, and it will always produce in those people Christian living. First, in Paul's opening words here, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men. Why is God due thanksgiving when people respond to the word with faith? Well, because natural men are being enabled by God to receive the things of God. That's what he's saying. When you receive the word of God which you heard from us. How did that happen? Was it their own ability to decide that God was better than their sin? No. Man is not capable of turning to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. This speaks of spiritual blindness, where we all were when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, before God opened our eyes. People who are not converted and given spiritual life from God cannot understand spiritual truth until God opens their mind to it. God is sovereign. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14 says, But their minds were hardened. Actually, Paul writing about the Jews. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But, now he's speaking about believers, he's writing to the believers in Corinth, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. It is believers who can discern spiritual truth about Jesus, who are transformed into his image, the people who have the Spirit of God within them. But until a person turns to the Lord, they cannot do this. They cannot understand it. But when they do, they will receive the word of God for what it is, the word of God and not the words of men. And that is a work of God in their hearts, to open blind eyes. That's a work of God alone. And he alone deserves the praise for it. When sinful, spiritually blind people are enabled to receive the things of God, we ought to thank God for that. That's a lesson here. But we also have cause to thank God when this happens because not only are sinners enabled to understand spiritual things, but sinners are then sanctified. He says in verse 13, you received it for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. What is the work of the word in people who believe the word? It's a cleansing word. It's the washing word. It's purifying. It's pruning. It disciples. It searches. It convicts. It tests. It transforms. It is a sanctifying work that the word does in the hearts of those who believe. And we worship God for this, this work. We praise God. We thank God for this work by saying so and saying thank you, God, for doing in that person's heart, by singing about it, even as we do in hymns, but also by putting ourselves under the word. As we're talking about giving thanks to God for his work, 
because sinners are being sanctified by the word, we can also do this by living it. We can thank God by living it. And what do I mean? Well, consider Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul links worship and conformity and transforming of our minds. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Our, our presentation of our whole selves to God is worship that is appropriate because of what God has done. And that includes the putting of our minds under the transforming power of the word so that we may grow in discernment, he says there. And that is part of thankfulness to God. To say, God, thank you for doing this work in my heart. I want it to continue. I'm going to worship you for what you've done by submitting myself to you for more. But not only does a response of true faith to the word give us cause to praise God, it also always produces genuine Christian life and conduct. And this is evident in two ways as Paul goes on in verse 14. It's evidenced by life that follows a particular Christ-like pattern, and it's evidenced by the, the kind of living that elicits persecution, he says in verse 14. What happened when they received the word of God? For you, brethren, became imitators. This is the pattern that their lives started to follow as God transformed them by the word. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. The, the pattern that their lives began to follow as they were being changed, as they were receiving the word of God by faith, was first the pattern of Paul's life. What does he call them? For you, brethren. They, they were becoming more like their brothers in Christ, like Paul. And Paul says elsewhere, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul was imitating Christ. And they were becoming like spiritual family because they were spiritual family. But then he makes it very clear. They were becoming imitators. They were following the pattern of other faithful churches. And this is a true church, you see there in verse 14. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, a different geographical region of the Roman Empire down in Palestine. And what's the point here? Well, just as you can be assured that someone is alive physically when you see evidence of a heartbeat and brain activity, so too may you be sure of your own spiritual life when you see signs of spiritual growth and living. That's what he's saying here. This should give them confidence because they were living a Christ-like life that followed a Christ-like pattern. It's a very simple and a very profound truth that those who are in the light live in the light. That certainly gives us instruction for how to live, right? We know that if we're in the light, we should live like we're in the light. But it also gives us confidence of our standing with God based on how we are living. Are you living in the light? That can give you assurance that you are in the light. James writes in James chapter 2, Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And then he writes a few verses later, Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. 
So what has the word produced in you? How have you responded to the word? Is it producing Christ-like living in you? It always does when it's received with faith. Lives that follow a certain Christ-like pattern. But also, receiving the word with faith produces a genuine life and Christian conduct that is uh, proved by persecution from unbelievers. That's what he says in the second half of the verse. Their life was such that they endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. It appears here in Thessalonica that these believers, Jews and Gentiles, were suffering at the hands of the Jews especially, because it was the Jews who formed the mob because they were jealous of Paul and they drove him out. You can read about it in Acts 17. But perhaps now there were others besides the Jews who the Jews had influenced, just Gentiles, other native Romans, other inhabitants of the empire there in that city, putting pressure on them to turn from what they believed while Paul was there, maybe refusing them business, shunning them, gossiping about them. Who knows what the pressure was? But the pressure was rising. And they were starting to be persecuted, whatever that persecution was. And this is one way, not the only way, but one way we can know that we're responding to the word with faith. Not as we come to suffer for our own foolishness, right? Scripture warns about this, or our own unrighteousness, but for the sake of righteousness, when we suffer for it, when we suffer for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of godly living as Daniel did to pray three times a day despite the laws against it. There's evidence. Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's this kind of living that a believing response to the word produces in a person, Paul says. Faith that is able to be imitated And faith, really, that the devil hates and seeks to quench and shut down by persecution. But on the other hand, there are those who do not receive the word with faith. Those on the other side of this line who are in direct opposition to the simple faith of these new believers because they're in direct opposition to the word that they received. If some respond to the word by receiving it with faith, Others respond to the word by rejecting it in their unbelief. And he begins to describe these in verse 15 by saying, this unbelief includes a rejection of all God's messengers. What did their persecution consist of? Their suffering at the hands of the Jews, verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They hated Christ when he preached this message. They hated all of his prophets who had lived in the last several decades and throughout all the history of the Old Testament. And they drove out Paul, too. He was another prophet. All of God's messengers, because they refuse and they don't believe the message, they drive out the messenger. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 23 when he's confronting the Pharisees for this exact thing. Matthew 23, verse 29, he says... Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And Jesus uses this to condemn them. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of, your, of, the, of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? It was characteristic of Jews who refused to believe in Jesus, that they rejected all of God's true prophets, including the Apostle Paul. And of course, it's interesting to think about, they didn't, they didn't see it that way, right? Because they refused to believe that these were the words of God. What did they say about Jesus? You are a blasphemer. You are not God. These are not the words of God. These are the words of men. They insisted on this, that these were words fabricated by a blasphemer. That's why it's so popular to hear today, like I've even heard recently, that Jesus was just a great teacher and nothing else. Have you heard this? Because people want to treat his words as the words of a mere man, not as the words of God himself. Because if he is who he claims to be as the very Son of God, then everything he taught And everything he commanded was true and binding and authoritative. And he truly is the only way of salvation. And what people do when they reject it, whether they do it kind of slyly and kind of in a backhanded way by saying, well, he's just a good teacher and not anything else, or whether they meet it like the Jews head on and say, you are not the son of God, and they contradict directly, what they're doing is they're rejecting the way, the truth, the life. This unbelief includes a rejection of all God's messengers, including Jesus Christ. But this unbelief, Paul says, it also elicits God's wrath. They drove us out. They are not pleasing to God. Whether God judges his enemies in this life or he waits until the next... He's no less displeased by those who are currently rejecting them, is he? These people are right now displeasing to God. He disapproves when men repeatedly reject the word. And the fact that he doesn't immediately strike them down is only evidence of his kindness and his patience in leading them to repentance. But again, in their hardness of heart, they refuse to see it this way. Instead, sinning against their kind and gracious God with, really, I think what we could call is a growing sense of impunity. Because this unbelief further produces a settled opposition to the gospel. You see this in verse, the end of verse 15 into 16. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. They live... They live only for themselves in, all, in opposition to others, and they seek to keep others from the truth. And this is exactly what refusal to repent of sin will do. That's why the author of Hebrews says, Exhort one another while it is called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They are hardened. They are settled in their opposition to the gospel. They have refused and refused and refused. Such that, Paul says, this unbelief, piles their sin as high as heaven. 
hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. And this unbelief ultimately will end in God's severe judgment. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. There is wrath coming from which we need to be rescued, Paul. If you look over in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says what characterized these believers is that they came to wait for his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. There is wrath coming, and we need rescued from it. And that rescue only comes in Jesus Christ. But Paul actually says here that this wrath already came. Wrath has come. It's just a simple past tense. Wrath came upon them to the utmost. In their hard-heartedness to the gospel, God gave them up to themselves. Very much like what Paul describes in Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, when he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The wrath of God is revealed against people who do this and against whole nations who do this. Really, the most fearful place to be when you refuse to admit the truth is under the preaching of the word, because that's the dividing line of of mankind. When we hear the Bible preached and taught, we either receive it with humility and are changed, or we reject it and we are hardened against it. And when we do the former, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because if we ever did it at the first, that was a work of God. And if we ever do it now, that's the Spirit using the Word in us. And we need God to do this, and we should pray for this. But should any of us do the latter and harden our hearts against the truth, may we be warned. We're given example after example in Scripture of those who reject the Word and then are suddenly destroyed beyond repair. We've been warned, and Paul describes them here. And of course, if they're feeling this persecution from these Jews, they're, they're not tempted to be like them, but they may be tempted to, to forsake the word and become ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is encouraging them, God will sanctify you by that word. Don't reject it. Receive it by faith, because that's how God will preserve you. May the Lord help us to heed the word when it's preached to lay aside sin, as James says, and receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls and which, once it has saved your soul, is able to do much else. Sanctify, purify, cleanse, teach, reprove. Because this is what we need as God's people. If God will preserve us as the pressure rises against our faith, we need to be grounded and God will sanctify us in the truth. And it is his word that is truth. Praise the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, you've made it very clear 
in your word how we should respond to your word. We know that judgment is coming, and you are full of wrath, even now. And that wrath will soon break forth and be unleashed on the world. Lord, right now we have opportunity to respond for our soul's good. May we do so because this is serious business. This is your holy word, your, the word that you breathed out for our maturity, our sanctification. I pray that we would be deep in it, even this week, and that we would not come away unchanged, but that we would see Christ there and understand you from it and seek to bow ourselves to you. We thank you for communicating to us through your word and showing us what you're like, showing us the way that we should live. Help us to be wise. Help us to fellowship with you this week. Thank you for the time and the word this evening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.